You're listening to Test, Learn, Grow, where we believe that all marketing should create value, build trust, and inspire change. This is the Level Agency way. Hey, my name is Miles Biggs. And I'm Alan Reynolds. Alan and I are proud to be your hosts for this podcast. In each episode of Test, Learn, Grow, we'll be joined by agency team members and other members of the marketing community for radically candid conversations on all things marketing. So without any further ado, let's have one of those conversations and jump into today's episode. Welcome everyone to Test, Learn, Grow. Today on the podcast, we have Nate Goldenman and Matt Redlawn, who are going to give us a background on themselves and the solution that their company, Clario, delivers. Nate, let's start off with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Like you said, Nate Goldenman, Vice President of Customer Success here at Clario, and have been in the marketing industry my entire career. And really what gets me excited every day is, you know, helping marketers solve their their business challenges and help them create the, the best audiences in the world to help them with their marketing accuracy and efficiency. Very nice. Let's transition over to your colleague, Matt, to give us a little bit about himself. Hi, Alan. Matt Redland, one of the co-founders at Clario and its current CEO. I agree with Nate. I mean, the, the singular mission at Clario is to build the most intelligent audience building and automation platform for marketers. We want to make it super easy to create intelligent audiences and get that piece of the puzzle for marketers and agencies off their plate, make it be easy and, and automated for them. So that's what we focus on every day. So what makes up as we talk about first party targeting systems? I think it's, it's a very fancy sounding word, but what does that really actually mean? First party data, first party platforms, all that fun yeah. stuff. You know, there's a there's a distinction between first and third party data where um, it's the third party data collection is really causing a backlash in the industry. We're seeing it across privacy platforms. I mean, platforms like Apple are even differentiating their whole business model based on the fact that they're going to keep your information from being used in in advertising and target. They're going to specialize in in differentiate themselves in keeping that in a locked vault, not allowing people to use that data. Governments are are retaliating against organizations for collecting that. You see it in Europe with GDPR and California with CCPA. It's a big trend. Apple is, is doing it most recently in email where they're shutting down your ability to see who's opened emails. The thing that people don't understand as much is that they are not causing retaliation or, or backlash against first party data collection. If someone is, if you're a retailer or a marketer and someone is your customer, you are completely within your rights to collect data on that customer's interaction with your organization. And so that's what we describe as first party data. The data that's collected in the process of transacting or interacting with your own customers. So folks that are on your customer file, you might say, your, your in your customer database, that data is all fair game for the retailer or the marketer, whoever it might be, to collect and to analyze and to use to make more sophisticated decisions related to their marketing and audience targeting. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, crystal clear. And so with this becoming more the norm, right? You can't you can't rely on the cookies and third-party data and people doing it for you. Now companies have to build up their own system to manage all this first-party data that's becoming so critical to their success, right? So as companies are looking at this, maybe they're considering a tool like Clario, but as they're figuring out how they're going to do it, what do you think are the, you know, if you had to pick three main areas that are the most important for somebody to focus on, where do they start and how should they weigh out, you know, how they move forward? here? Yeah, that's a great question, Miles. I, th- I think there, if I had to kind of key in on three key aspects of this, I would think of speed and, and maybe time as the first dimension, flexibility as the second, and, and the accuracy um, or causality would be the, the nerdy statistics word on it. So those would be the, the big three. And, and I'll give you some, maybe if we go through them one at a time, I'll give you some thoughts on each. And then Nate, things that I miss, you can jump in with, because I, I know we think about this all day long. So you're going to have thoughts as well. Speed, speed being the first one, think about how everything changes all the time. This is one of the mantras around our organization is, is everything that is happening within our customer. So things from their company's strategy, the people that are working at those companies change and with them new um, ideas are, are, are brought in. Their approach to the product or offering, the, the messaging of that, all of that is changing. And at level, you have to deal with this all the time. You're interacting with organizations that are marketing and, and new ideas are coming in and you have to be responsive to, the, to those new ideas. So how are you going to be reactive, be responsive to that while also maintaining longitudinal continuity, right? Thinking across time and saying, hey, even though ideas are changing, even though strategies are changing and our product offering is changing, the customers are there, their journeys are are going to be similar And I have to be able to understand those behavioral patterns from history and respond to them dynamically. So to do that, we really focus first with our customers on how are you collecting data? How are you um, storing that data? What What is the... consistency of taxonomies. Taxonomies is, I I joke a lot that marketers in in this day and age have to be librarians. Think about library science, right? How one of the great problems we see related to product taxonomy, you want to know a customer engages with a certain class of products, right? But we don't keep, you know, this is a, a classic example from a retailer, we don't keep the same taxonomy for what happens in our physical stores and what happens on our website. So our e-commerce taxonomy is different than our physical store. And the result is, how do I know that Miles or Alan engage with this particular class of products? I have to have a way to roll up products and create characteristics that describe their engagement. And that changes all the time. Think about creating a three to five year view of all of those customers and how product categorizations change and creating consistency across time. So typically taxonomies are an afterthought for organizations, but when you're thinking about time and the speed and consistency with which you can interact with your customers, 
getting that taxonomy correct, getting it, keeping it mapped continuously across time is super important to be able to create consistent behavioral messaging to customers that is going to be relevant and timely for them. So taxonomies are super important to deal with that. And the other thing is, think of how often systems change. So every every marketer is changing vendors all the time, especially nowadays in software as a service and everybody has the latest and greatest AI or ML powered this and that that they're going to bring in and that's going to make decisions much more uh, fast and dynamic and personalized. Well, the result of that is the data that's being spun out of these systems is shaped different and it's it's needs to be brought in into a consistent shape and format so that you can maintain that longitudinally consistent view of the customer. So all of these things are super important. It's not just the speed with which you can make pull together an audience and put that out into an ad platform. It's also the speed with which you can react to all of this change and to adapt and bring that into the system and, and create that view. I'll add to that too, Matt, is, you know, often we find in, in a lot of organizations, there's a lot of silos, right? Data silos. We were just working with a client the other day who's been running SMS or text message uh, marketing for a while. And to our surprise, they had yet really considered bringing that into the longitudinal view of the customer to bring it together with all of the other interactions they have with the brand. And, and you can imagine the importance in, in, the, in being able to do that is, you know, understand how you're messaging to that same customer in different channels, whether it be email or it be how they're engaging with digital marketing, you know, Google and Facebook, you know, and if that data is just sitting in a silo, you're, you're not able to really take into account their other interactions with the brand. And so that to me is, again, the importance of bringing, bringing the data together and, and having that, that timeline as you were speaking to, so that you can really understand, you know, how should I be talking to uh, Matt Renlin or, or, or Miles, right? And I should be varying that message and talking to uh, our, my customers as a human being and have an understanding of, you know, what, like you said, what product are they engaging with and be able to dynamically change that messaging based on, on the conversation they're having with the brand. You both brought up the word dynamic in your responses and this need to pivot, this need to shift. It sounds like flexibility is also a critical component. Matt, do you have some thoughts with that? 100%. There's a real nerdy thing, which is like the second law of thermodynamics basically means that everything tends towards chaos over time, right? And we kind of parallel that in marketing, where the second law of targeting to us is that targeting strategies tend towards complexity over time especially as your ability to get more specific in targeting improves, people tend to take advantage of that and get more and more sophisticated in how they target. Well, that's all well and good, but the, the, the question, are you coming up with an overall strategy, right? Are you, we always say, and this kind of goes to, to how you get started. We always say, start with basic segmentation. How, who are your active customers? Who are the lapsed customers? Who do you need to win back? Who do you, when you think about the active customers, 
do you want to diff is your strategy to differentiate your communication to them by the products that they engage in or the services? Is it to should you be subdividing them by that? Do you want to differentiate based on their predicted lifetime value? What have that conversation? Our VP of engineering, Chris, always says that the, the hard part is the thinking, you know, the upfront thinking. And that's really the key to the strategy component of it. That strategy is going to change to your point, Alan, right? Is that you have to be flexible and dynamic to what that strategy is going to be. And it really keys into something that's thematically important to level, which is test, learn, and grow. You're going to start trying these strategies. You're going to find out that some of them are home runs, some of them are base hits, and some are follow balls, you know, and as a result of that, you're going to want to learn from those that succeeded and those that failed, refine that strategic segmentation, and then be opportunistic to events that come up that were outside of your core or base strategy. So think about, you know, wasn't it Oreo Cookie who responded with a famous tweet a few years back when there was a power outage at the Super Bowl? You know, and it was a, it was a huge success because it was in the moment. It was timely to what was happening. They got a ton of, of free ad impressions associated with it. But that's really what we're talking about with you're saying being flexible and dynamic. You don't have to be real time. Which does connect back to uh, our previous interview with Jackie of Christopher and Banks, right? Responding yeah. to external changes of shopping, it looks very different now. And how do you recreate that experience in an e-commerce world where women are used to having someone personally help them in the store? And that's no longer the case. Audience segmentation. And Alan, on that, I apologize for interrupting, but they, they yeah. we actually provide the same relevant data to the in-store or the, the e-commerce shopping experience as well. So think about that, that electronic interaction, the, the dynamic or human curated shopping experience, which they're now providing on their website. The people who are supporting those services for their customers, they need to be informed with that relevant summarized data at the point of interaction. And so Clario feeds that relevant summarized data into that solution so that those human curated experiences can be as relevant and personalized as possible as well. That's what's coming up for me is you guys are responding to a lot of this is we say terms like first party data, or we're talking about the longitudinal time dimension and like all these big phrases, which makes sense. But at the heart of it, there's a person on the other side of this data point, right? And we, we talk about that a lot at level. It's at the heart of a lot of the design thinking principles within Tesla and Grow. You know, I think we can't go a podcast without saying the word empathy, Alan, right? And yeah. it's that like there are people here. And so what I what I like about what you're saying is that in a way, sometimes with speed we talked about and flexibility, sometimes we need to slow down a little bit in order to go faster in the future and to be more flexible in the future. And really think about when you look at the data points, not siloing them, what is this whole picture? What's going to make the most sense? Let's develop that strategy. And then when you've slowed down and you created that strategy, you can then use that strategy to harness the chaos and be flexible around it, right? But I think a lot of people, to your point about the second law of targeting, it's going to become more complex, is that I think that's a misnomer about speed too, is like there's the tendency to go faster because you're supposed to be faster and be more responsive. When sometimes you got to take a step back, look at the whole picture seeing, so that you actually can go the correct speed and do it well and not just be fast for the sake of being fast. Exactly, Miles. I think I, 
I push back, you know, so we're in a, we're in a very techie space, right? There's a, there's huge volumes of data, real time feeds, 15 second latencies, you know, there's all these techie things that are surrounding us, but I'm one of the first people to push back on the need for real time. Most, most humans respond better to something that is thoughtful and something that is not necessarily in the moment, but, but more relevant and at the appropriate time rather than real time. And in, and in our industry, in software and, and marketing technologies, there is a huge overemphasis, in my opinion, real time. And I'm doing it at the moment and getting that immediate reaction. So I love what you said about that, that it is to us the thinking part, the thoughtfulness of the base segmentation, the strategy. Has your team actually sat down, had this painful, drawn out, difficult discussion related to how are we going to think about the different cohorts of our customers? This, you know, how are we going to be messaging them? What is the right cadence? What is the right strategy? What is, what is the right sequence of messaging to put in front of them? All of that thinking that comes up front, that is, that is really where the vast majority of the benefit comes from. The technology now should be, you know, that should be something that is facilitating the execution of that thoughtful strategy that comes up front, not the other way around. The technology doesn't lead the strategy, right? It's still the humans that are at a level at the brands who are thinking about this and putting that together. And then the technology becomes an enabling thing. We always joke with, with Clario that in the past, it used to be that uh, I remember talking to a CMO once who said, I took this job thinking that I was going to be thinking about strategy. And instead, I'm thinking about data plumbing. So the mix was like 2080, right? 80% of the job for her became data plumbing. And that was not what she signed up for. She was thinking that as a chief marketing officer, it would be more about the strategy and the positioning and the branding and the job became data plumbing and technology integrations. And we really think that you should flip the script on that. With Clario taking a lot of the, the data plumbing, the machine learning, the intelligence layer and the automation off the table, then it really should be the other side where 80% of your time can now be spent on strategy. What is this communication strategy to whom? And spending the time there is going to yield far greater benefits for the brand than spending it on integrations and technology and plumbing. I'll add to that too is, you know, I think this definitely relates back to the test, learn, grow. You know, I, I think about it comes bound, down to that grounding and strategy and, and that same thing can be held true for testing, right? It's like, take a minute to think about what it is that you're trying to learn, right? It, it comes back to what you learned in fifth grade with regards to the scientific method, right? What, what is the, what is your hypothesis? What is your question, Right. What is it that you want to to learn and design the the tests and the learnings around that? You know, I, I often say a test without a control isn't a test. Right. So often, you know, people will come back and say, hey, I did this thing. What, I don't know. What are you comparing it to? I don't know. <laughs> but I but I did this this great thing. 
okay, but in that same window of time, you also did, you know, all of these other things too. So how can you tell me what the causality was? Because I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't upfront think about what it is that I wanted to, to test. What was my question? Right. And so, you know, it, you can't um, tease that out after the fact. So to me, again, that speaks to, you know, the strategy. And, and I know, Matt, a lot of times you and I will talk about, you know, that's, that's another reason why Amazon has done so well, right? Is that they are super good at learning fast through lots of micro tests, right? So how can I design those tests and learn from them and then move on to the next thing, right? Did it work? And how do I expand upon it? Or did it not work? And what I learned through that? Yeah, and that brings up a great point, Nate, about micro-testing, right? Sometimes we're so eager to get to the big thing, right? We're ready to roll. We want to launch. We want to get fast. So we just do the much larger, and it doesn't account for all the variables. So it really takes patience and, and deliberate thought to say, what's the most critical thing to test at this moment? And to test this singular thing and, and have the patience to see that through rather than skip 10 points ahead and to your point, really not understand the variables and factors that went into the outcome. Patience is an important word, Alan, that you, you threw in there. And that is not the strong suit for most marketers in my experience. Patience is, you know, the, the thoughtfulness that Nate is talking about in design. When you say it's great to have a strategy but now, okay, great. I've established the strategy. Now what's my plan to implement that strategy? And the plan, we always say if the, if the, if data science, whatever that is for your organization, right? It can be through your agency. It can be internal folks. But if a data science mentality is not at the table and when you're starting to define how you're going to implement a strategy, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Because you're not going to do what Nate suggested, which is have a, a structure for testing this new strategy, which is actually going to result in a, in a uh, statistically significant learning at the end of that implementation from which you can then grow, right? The, the whole learn phase of what, what level stands for is sort of lost if you haven't thought about the design of the test right from the inception of your strategy implementation plan. So this has us kind of dancing around your third thing you brought up was accuracy. You know, we mentioned about causation and if we haven't done this, haven't done X, then why isn't true? That, that we're kind of dancing around the accuracy topic. So let's let's dive deeper into there too. So when you guys bring that up as the third, we've got speed and time dimension, flexibility, accuracy. What role does that play for you in this world of first party data? Things have changed over time with machine learning and you know, I'll just say that on a soapbox perspective that a lot of people talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning, most of them really are saying statistics when they're talking about these two things. AI sounds cooler. Machine learning sounds cooler. So that's fair. These are super powerful, though. It turns out that to no surprise, the humans, unlike the stock market, so in the stock market, past uh, performance is not indicative of future results. In human behavior, past behavior is indicative of future results. And the implementation of statistics and, and machine learning is going to be predictive in the aggregate of what people are going to do in the future. So 
in the past, these things have been very costly. Building a model to predict someone's behavior on a certain campaign, the threshold for doing that was very high. It required a very specialized skill set and time. And so one of the things, you know, and Clario is just one of the beneficiaries of this sort of meta that has changed a lot is building a model is no longer a very high hurdle. So it becomes very easy for you to say, look, I have something that would have never met the threshold for building a, a machine learning based model in the past. I just have to create a Facebook audience. But now I can do that in 15 minutes on a very specialized query of customer behavior, build a model of that and load the 40% of individuals who score the highest as being those most likely to engage in a certain behavior. And in platforms like Facebook, use that as a seed for the lookalike audience, right? Don't use the whole universe of people who did this thing in the past. That's more of the, the correlation aspect of marketing but use the causal inference, use the people who are predicted most likely to be this desirable customer and either target them directly or use the lookalike capabilities within the platform. But the seed is much more intelligent that you're sending in to do this. So the, the threshold lowering for machine learning is super important because we are seeing an acceleration in our customers of model everything. You know, why? If the threshold is low enough, why would I not add the efficiency of building a model and making a much more intelligent audience for this particular communication? So that threshold is lowered. The, the understanding that I can go to causality versus correlation. There, we're bringing in things like the predicted lifetime value, where historically loyalty and value was measured just as looking backward at the summation of their past behaviors. And now it's really about predicting what they're going, going to go on to do. And then the final thing is around attribution, which is such a hot button for, for so many organizations. Nate and I always joke that we would almost rather do anything than be involved in a strategic conversation related to attribution with one of our clients. The, the turf wars and the battles that ensue from that because it becomes a question of budget allocation. But I'll say one thing that we have found even more powerful with attribution is it reveals for us what channels customers are engaged with. So if you have a customer who has opted out of email, but and the attribution reveals that, the multi-touch attribution reveals that, that they are engaged with Pinterest or they are engaged with Facebook, you now have a huge clue as to where they should be rising in the audience for targeting on those channels because the incremental impact is going to be there. So for us, multi-touch attribution is far more important in how it reveals an individual customer's behavior and their interactions with channels and therefore allowing the machine learning models to have them float to the surface in different audiences where they are going to be most incrementally impacted by that marketing. That to us is far more important than the meta battle associated with budget allocation that comes from attribution conversations.
And Matt, I think that really speaks to the accuracy component, the data, right? Uh, a lot of times we talk about, you know, AI is the term thrown around, but we often, you know, talk about internally how those AI models, when they're trained, are only as good as the cleansed and enriched data that is used to train those models. You know, so the the old analogy, garbage in, garbage out, right, definitely holds true. And, and I think a lot of individuals, when they are talking about AI, haven't ever considered that fact. And, and that is certainly an important one. And, and that, you know, goes back to the, the accuracy topic we were just talking about here is you do need, you know, clean, cleansed, enriched data that is, you know, bucketed into meaningful values so that when, when you do do those modeling type efforts, it has the best information that it can use to, to train the model. Which comes back to the individual. In a way, machine learning has democratized the playing field back to we're able to create models much quicker, right, with more frequency. But that relies on the individual at hand to be really skilled in understanding the core basics of what they're doing. Tools sometimes can speed the process along, but if you don't actually understand what you're doing, it doesn't help so much. Recently, PRP, Pat Patterson, challenged me. I was building a, a media template in Excel with formulas, and it, it was gruesome, right? We have a ClickSense dashboard that pulls in data for us. It's beautiful. But the problem there is you can see the numbers so quickly and easily, but you really don't understand the deeper meaning behind where they're coming from and how they're interacting with one another. And so he said, you know, go through this. I challenge you, like, here's the formulas. Go build this out. See how they interplay with one another. And doing that while immensely frustrating, you know, you're able to see how data talks to one another and really genuinely understand data, junk in, junk out, garbage in, garbage out, where when you're responsible and doing the actual thing, even though automation might make it easier, there's something to be said for stopping, again, being patient, pausing, making sure you understand how to do the thing at its most basic fundamental level before then realizing and utilizing the data or utilizing the technology to speed it up, like understand yeah. what you're doing before you just start running with scissors. Data and machine learning can be used to support bad decisions as well, right? And and the biggest gap you just hit on, Alan, it, that we see in the industry overall, is, or, or I should say the, the rarest skill set is someone who can translate between data, machine learning, marketing, segmentation, you know, the, that, that intersection of all of those things. Your past guests, our mutual client, Christopher and Banks and Jackie and, and the collaboration she has with Abby on the level team, that is rare and beautiful, right? The fact that those individuals both speak the same language they take the time to understand, as you were thinking about the, the discussion with PRP, the, the taking the time to understand that and, and really internalize what that data is telling. That is the rarest skill set. And Nate, in our customer success function, it is probably the, the number one thing he spends his days doing is coaching clients, working with junior members of the team or senior members of the team and bringing them up to speed on, on sort of this whole philosophical approach to marketing, right? It, it is not 
even though it's nothing new, he, he joked about, you know, the fifth grade scientific method. Okay, you know, that's fundamental to everything we're doing. But so it is nothing new, but it is something that has been forgotten, let's say, over time in marketing. And it has to be new again to everyone. And it has to be an area of emphasis. How are we going to train our teams? How are we going to educate our teams on the importance of this strategic approach, the the importance of testing, the importance of data uh, collection, taxonomies, longitudinal consistency, all of these concepts that we talked about in the course of this discussion, those are critical and they are not second nature to people. They have to be trained People have to be educated on them. And, and if they're not, you're not going to succeed in, in this type of approach. So it has to be right from the core that that's a, a point of emphasis. Yeah, I, I, I believe strongly you need to meet people where they're at, right? It's a journey. You need to help them down the journey and help them. You know, you, you talk about the empathy, you know, where, empathize where they're at and, and help them to, you know, get to where they want to go. Right. And I think that is super important to, you know, everything we've been talking about today. And, and also, you know, you're talking about, you know, the magic in the team between Jackie and Abby, I think, and also another key component there is incentive structures, right? Is everyone has to be aligned with regards to what the end goal is, right? People naturally move towards how they're incentivized. Right. And so, often find that, you know, a lot of the marketing um, tools and whatnot are kind of grading their own homework and saying, hey, just trust us. This is how we did. And here's 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 the results that I put together for you measured based on how I am best incentivized. Right. And so to me, that is another piece of the magic. And I think that is you know, what makes that partnership between Level and, and CBK, Christopher and Banks work as well is that you're, you're marching towards the, the same goal and you're being measured, you know, the same way. Um, that, that's also key, I think, to, to the conversation. And that helps you get the, the right testing and in place so you can truly test, learn and grow. And if that alignment isn't there, it's really, I think difficult to, 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 to grow, honestly, because that is where we, Matt was talking, you get into some of these street fights with regards to, uh, a lot of it is around incentive structures, you know, Hey, don't, you can't, don't take away some of that because that, you know, impacts me and how I'm going to be measured. Right. And so that I, I think that is, you know, maybe something that isn't talked about a lot of times, but, you know, below the surface, the alignment is is key. I love it. The last episode where you guys' name was spoken, it was on our show and it ended up being a commercial for you. And now you've made this one a commercial for us. I think you guys have said Tesla and Grow more than we have, which is, it's fun to hear that idea resonate with, you know, an organization outside of our own. And you guys shared so much valuable information in this episode. I think I'll have to go and listen back to it like twice to fully soak it all up. So if you're listening to this, just go start it again and start taking more notes. It'll be worth your time. Just want to thank you both for your time. This has been a lot of fun and we'll have to get you back on the, the show one of these days to dig deeper into one of these topics. Thank you so much, Miles and Alan. Really appreciate the opportunity and enjoyed the conversation. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Test, Learn, Grow from your friends at Level Agency. For more information about what we do here at Level, be sure to visit us online at www.level.agency. And do not forget to rate and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, remember that the best way to do any sort of marketing is to test, learn, and grow.